Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome back to the John Cast. My name's John, John Jorgensen, your host, at John Jorgensen on the Instagram. It is so cold. It's reached single digits, but also the feels like negative digits. We finally have like a really, really cold week this winter here in Chicago. It's been pretty mild, but all hope is lost. It's freezing. Um, Happy Valentine's Day. I'm recording this on Valentine's Day. For those of you who celebrate this holiday, uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. If you do not, then happy normal Friday. It's a Friday. It's good news all around, regardless of your current relationship status. Am I right? Uh, It's pretty apropos that it's Valentine's Day because as you know, if you are a regular listener to this show, we are in this series DTR, Define the Relationships, where we're seeking uh, to talk about how we can form better, healthier, more life-giving relationships. And we're going to do that today. I have a message for you. And then also, just like last week, the second half of this podcast is going to be a conversation This week, between myself and a friend of mine named Dave Hunter, we're going to have a conversation on marriage and on mentorship. So make sure you stick around after the message to listen to that. Dave is one of the wisest people I know. You are not going to want to miss it. But as for today, I want to continue in this DTR series by talking about love. Every single time I say that word, I hear the song from Night of the Roxbury, What is love? And my head just starts bobbing along with Will Ferrell. I don't know if anyone else does that. Maybe I am starting to show my age a little bit. I don't, I'm finding that there's moments where I do that a little bit. I start to show my age when I'm talking to like a, you know, even 20 year old or 16 year old and they have no idea what that Night at the Roxbury even is. Maybe that's happening right now in real time. But in any case, I want to talk about love today. Uh, Now, our English language, in the English language, we get a lot of mileage out of our single word for love. And if you're not careful, or if you've ever had to learn English, maybe English is not your first language, it can be pretty confusing, right? Because, for example, I love my wife, I love Sweet Bear, but I also love my friends. But I also love the Chicago Bulls, even though they are terrible and they are so bad to me. But I also love pizza, and that is always good to me. Pizza always treats me right, you know? But of course, I don't love all four of these things the same way. And most of us who speak English, we have gotten pretty good at understanding what exactly we mean when we say we love something based on the context. You understand that I don't love pizza in the same way that I love Sweet Bear. Pizza is a close second, right? But just because we understand that and we can contextually understand what someone means when they use that word love doesn't mean that we have this topic all figured out. So many of us still have so many questions when it comes to love. How do you know when you're in love? How do you stay in love if you've been together for a long time? Or even outside of romantic relationships, what does it actually look like to be loving towards someone? Does it, because there's there's sort of two ends of the spectrum in our culture. There's the people who would tell you that being loving is calling people out on their stuff and letting them know if they're heading down the wrong path or if they're on what, let's call it what it is, a sinful path. Being loving is to tell that person that they're wrong and that they need to repent. 
But then there's other people that would tell you that the most loving thing you can do is just let people do whatever they want, whatever makes them feel good. That's how you love people. But what does it actually look like for us to be loving towards a friend or towards a boyfriend or girlfriend or to someone who we don't even like? Jesus said, love your enemies. And that's sort of become commonplace in sort of our Christian phrase vocabulary. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? How do we do that? Especially if we don't walk around feeling like we have enemies. You see, I think we still have a lot of questions surrounding what is love. Cue night at the Roxbury. Um, All right, let's dive into this. Because unlike English, the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek languages, which are the main languages that the Bible was originally written in, these languages have many different words for our single English word of love. And I want to walk through a few of these. The first being uh, storge or storgi. This is a Greek word that refers to affection. So this is how I feel about pizza, or this is maybe how you feel about a celebrity or a certain color or a certain smell of a candle, right? Shout out to my good friend Kaylee Moxley and Symposium Candle Company. Check them out on Etsy. Uh, That's storge. It's affection. Then there's philia. Philia describes the kind of love that occurs between friends. There's also a Hebrew word for this, raya. This is the type of love that two friends have. This is the type of love that perhaps uh, Jonathan and David shared. This is the type of love that I share with Jimmy, who, if you listened to last week, we talked about friendship. We talked about philia, raya kind of love. Then we have eros, which describes romantic love. There's a Hebrew word dod or dodim, which refers to sexual or physical love, attraction, desire. Then we have agape, or in Hebrew, ahava. And these two words are often used to describe the type of love that God has for humanity. And those are the two words that I really want to focus on for the rest of our time. But before we do that, notice all throughout the Bible, there are tons of different words used for the word love. And so it's important when we're reading, just a little Bible nerd corner here for a second, it's important when we're reading for us to understand which version of love is being used. Because while I, in conversation with someone, can understand from context that when they say they love pizza, they don't mean that they want to marry pizza, as much as sometimes I have thought about it in my youth. But I understand that from the context of the conversation. The problem is, when we go to the Bible, what we do is we take out one verse that talks about love, and we completely lose the context. And so then we misapply it to a romantic relationship when actually it was simply talking about affection. Or we misapply it simply thinking it's talking about affection when it's talking about the deep sacrificial love that God has for his people. So we have to understand with all of these different definitions and all these different words for love, we have to be contextual whenever we come across the word love in the Bible. Soapbox done. Let's talk about agape and ahava. Again, these are the words that are often used to describe what C.S. Lewis calls Christian love or God's love for humanity. But agape and ahava, it's important for us to note 
This kind of love is not completely separate from any other kind. C.S. Lewis talks about this a lot um, in The Four Loves, which if you've ever read that or listened to it, I highly recommend it. Um, You see, God, part of God's agape or ahava is that he does feel a deep sense of affection or storge toward his people. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7, God's love for his people is translated as affection in English. God's love for his people also includes friendship. Last week, we talked about the story of Abraham, how God makes a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham is referred to as what? A friend of God. There are poems in books like Song of Songs that use romantic love as a metaphor for the passion and pursuit that God has for his people, talking about romantic, even sexual, physical desire as a metaphor for God's pursuit of his people Israel. But the one thing that makes God's love different or unique from any of these other types of love is that agape and ahava are not just emotions that God feels, but they are actions that God takes. And that's important. True, godly, Christian love is not just an emotion that is felt, but it is a love that actually takes action. God's love is not just a sentiment. It is not just a fleeting emotion, but it is something that spurs God on to act or to do something on behalf of his people. You see, God puts his love to work by providing for his people, by guiding them, by making a way for them through the waters, through the wilderness, establishing a home and a city for them, by forgiving their transgressions. Time and time again in the Bible, we read stories about God putting his ahava, his love, to work and action. And this is the kind of love that God calls us to imitate. Not just in our relationship to him, but in the way that we treat others as well. And we see this when Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, is asked by the teachers of the law, what is the greatest commandment? What was Jesus' reply? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And, he wasn't done, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the challenge for us is to imitate and translate this agape, ahava kind of love into our lives. Again, not just in our faith, not just in how we relate to God, but also in how we relate to other people. You see, we reflect the heart and the love of God accurately when we move from simply loving other people when we feel like it to actually putting our love to work by serving them, by guiding them, by helping them, by walking alongside of them, just as God does for his people. And when we do this, when we turn our love into action, it almost always proves to deepen the feelings of love that we have for the other person. Whether those are feelings of affection, friendship, romantic kind of love, whatever type of relationship, when we put our love to work for the sake of the other person, our bond with them grows deeper. That happens every single day with Aaron and I. 
in our marriage, the way that hopefully, I'm hoping, we continue to grow more and more in love with our feelings for one another is by taking action, by serving her, by taking her out on a date. Putting our love to work deepens the feelings of love that we have for one another. And so, the first step to this, first step to beginning to reflect the love of God in our lives is doing a little study and knowing how, seeing how God puts his love, his ahava to work. And then the next step is saying, what would it look like for me to translate that kind of loving action into my life? For example, how can I provide for my friend's need? How can I walk alongside a sibling when they are in a season of wilderness wandering? How can I be more sacrificial in my dating or marriage relationship with my partner? This is how we begin to experience and share the love of God in our relationships. Not just by feeling love, but by putting love to work. And so if you would like perhaps a more guided exercise to lead you through those next steps of beginning to recognize, learn about, and then live out the love of God in your life, uh, I have a link in the show notes in the description for you to download a bit of a practice for yourself. Go ahead, check it out. I'm really excited now to share an interview or a conversation that I had with a friend of mine, Dave Hunter. Dave has been a friend and mentor of mine for many, many years. And we talk about sort of that word mentor and what that has meant for us and maybe how it means something different than perhaps you think. We talk about mentorship or discipleship relationships. And then in the second half of the conversation, we talk about marriage. Dave has a healthy, thriving marriage that I look up to very, very much. And so I know there's a lot of really good practical wisdom packed into this conversation. Whether you are married or not, I really think you'll get a lot out of it. So let's take a quick break and then a conversation with Dave Hunter. Hey friends, John here. I wanted to ask a quick favor of you all before we get into the second half of this episode. One of the ways that you all can help this show, this podcast grow, is actually by leaving a review. Uh, Specifically, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you can take just two minutes to leave a quick review about your experience listening to this show. What that does is it really helps more people to discover this show. It sort of pushes it to the top of the lists, and that's what we want to do. My whole goal with this show is to help people move forward in their faith, to meet them wherever they're at, and help them take a step forward towards God. And you can help in serving that mission just by leaving a short review today, again, specifically for those of you who are listening on Apple Podcasts. That would mean so much if you could just pause right now and do that. Leave a quick review. Thank you so much for listening. I love you all. And now back to the John Cast. You don't, can't. Want, you don't want to hear like a headphones? No. Like this is not like a, a real production. <laughs> this is not like a oh, real man. thing. I don't know if I would have signed up for this then. You know, you I know didn't know me. this is ghetto. You know me, David. I'm more of a fake it till you make it yeah. type person. Um, welcome, David Hunter. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for using both of my names. Yes, you're welcome. Welcome to the um, very humbly named John Cast. <laughs> That's what we call it. <laughs> Um, 
We're working on it. Do you really call it the John Cast? I, yeah, it's called the John Cast. Oh, okay. Thanks for listening. I, um, oh, I, I, I listen all the time. <laughs> you knew it. You knew it. Can we, um, we want to start over? No, I think this is going really <laughs> well so far. Um, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being willing to do this. Um, to start sort of our conversation, the listeners kind of already know the context of what this conversation is and what it's going to be. And I just explained it to you as well. But what they don't necessarily know as much is the exact nature of our relationship or sort of how we know each other. Okay. Now I'm going to give you a challenge. I asked Jimmy last week, Jimmy Nicholas, who you know, Mm -hmm. and I know and love. um, I asked him to sum up our relationship succinctly last week. And he took about seven minutes to do that. Oh, so well, Jimmy hasn't used the he hasn't learned the word succinctly yet. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to ask you to try and do it, do our relationship in less than seven minutes. Okay, you think you can do that? Yeah. All right. All right. So succinctly, I would say that John and I are close friends that work together and play together, and then also have. A mentoring relationship attached to it that sometimes we tap into and other times we just don't. Yeah. That was much less than seven minutes. <laughs> I knew you could do it. Is that good? Yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate. Cause the so the let's let's focus. I mean the first half of what you said is pretty obvious. We're friends slash at times coworkers. Yeah. Um and that has been true pretty much since the beginning of us yeah. knowing each other. We got close through doing theater together. Yes. And, and which working on projects the, together. Yes. And most of the time you would be leading those projects right. as the director or whatever it might be. And I would be an actor or something like that. Right. And then as you got older and, and you started becoming on teams and like you would mm-hmm. maybe choreograph a show right. or, or assistant director help with whatever. So mm-hmm. you started taking leadership roles. So you're like on the team with me as well. Yeah. So we were kind of coworkers in that space. And then as you made the transition away from theater into video production where you are now. Yeah. I, you had been doing video through the YouTube thing for a little bit. Yes. And I was like, hey, what, maybe can I hire you to do some of this stuff? Right. So It's a mutual beneficial thing because you, you would learn more things about video. So much. And you use other equipment. And I had somebody who was very talented at it to help me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. So we, discussed, we had this, like, since I was literally 10 years old, this somewhat, like, quote, unquote, professional working relationship together that still exists to this day. But then also... Throughout it, there's been this like friendship, legitimate friendship as well. Yeah. Not just between you and I, but also between like Aaron, my wife, and Martine, your wife, and right. then also between the four of us. Right. Um, and that sort of, I think that. Which is, I think, more natural in the theater world, maybe, than in our normal work world. Probably. You know, you, you, when you were doing theater with people, uh, you get close with each other personally, you know, because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you're working, really. It totally. feels like you're doing the thing you love to do. Yeah, you especially, know, yeah especially because for the most part, especially for me growing up, when I was younger doing shows for you, I wasn't getting paid to do any of that stuff. Right. You know, I was just a kid who was doing the thing that he really, really enjoyed to do. Yeah. And you, you as much as anyone else in my life, can continue to invite me in and give me opportunities to do that at a higher and higher level. Right. You know? Yeah. For those who don't know, when John was a teenager, I I had a, uh, we have a professional improv group and he was invited to start performing with us at a very, very young age. But John always looked like he was 40, even though he was like 12 years old. (laughs) So nobody knew, you know, but, uh, but you also had just an, an extraordinary talent level. So it really fit with what we were doing and, and everything. 
So yeah. Yeah. So then so it it's became, not it's not as though you I I picked you. It's like you earned it. That's how I view it at least. Oh well, that's kind. But I I I appreciate that. But what what that led to? My point being is that led to us spending more and more and more and more time together. Yeah. And so that eventually down the road, I was like, no, Dave is, Dave is just one of my like best and closest friends. Yeah. It's like, it's like we woke up one day and realized it. Yeah. It was in a way. Yeah. It wasn't like, like a lot of you who are listening, you listen to me talk about my friendship with Jimmy, Jimmy and I, we are the same age. We grew up together in a similar community. We went to school together at one point. I think that's how you get a lot of your friends. Our friendship, was a little bit different, which leads to the the third part of your of your description of our relationship, which is this sort of mentor ish type thing, which I think we both dislike using that word. It, well, it feels weird because it, it feels like there's like a structure. You have to have a structure or something. Yeah, or like to we it. signed a contract together. Yeah, yeah, and for like two years, and then we'll come back and revisit it. Yeah, if it doesn't work out. Yeah, which just like us being friends, I think one day we both just sort of woke up and we're like. I was like, oh, Dave is sort of a a mentor to me. Like, it was as I was trying to describe the nature of our relationship to other people. Yeah. And I'd be like, he's my friend. And they'd be like, oh, you guys go to college together? And I was like, no, he's he's about a decade older than me, actually. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a little I am. Bit I'm 40. I'm 40. How old are you? I'm 28. Yeah, yeah. So 12 years, I'm 12 years older. Yeah. And so there is that sort of... And I wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about it, because I think there's a lot of people out there specifically in... And we talked about this in Christian community who they hear terms like mentor or you need someone to disciple you or whatever that is. And there's a lot of pressure, I think, put on both young people and people who are a little bit older to either find a mentor or find someone to disciple them or find someone to be a mentor to or find someone to disciple. And we enter into a lot of times these very uncomfortable forced versions of it. Mm. But I think what you and I have found is something that was just so natural. Yeah. And I know I'm not the only person you sort of have that type of relationship with. So I'm I'm interested is that idea of you being a mentor to me or to others? Is that something you intentionally sought out to do or was it something that you just discovered? Um the the truthful answer is it's something I discovered. Um I recently did my life plan, like about a year ago. It's where you, you, you hire somebody, it's a two-day experience, and they kind of go through your whole life, and you talk about strengths and weaknesses and your life trajectory and everything, and, and you kind of develop some core strengths, core talents that you have that's unique to you that maybe is different from other people. And one of the things I discovered in the life plan was that I that I'm a mentor, but I'm not just a, I'm more specifically like a relational mentor because most of my mentoring type uh, – scenarios or with people that I just have naturally have relationships with. And I don't do like this official mentoring thing, like what you're talking about, where so you ask somebody to be a mentor and then you meet for coffee every, you know, we have never had, no, we don't do that. (laughs) No, it's more like somebody, I'll find somebody will call me up to ask advice about something or they'll want to run something by me if they're thinking about making a big purchase or they're having an issue in their relationship and they want to know what I think about it. And I'll just reach out in those All things times. that I have done in the last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I noticed that happening and there's a weird thing that happens where I feel very honored that they're calling me and asking me these things. And I also find that I have walked that path already. So I, and I've made these decisions and I've made those mistakes and I, 
And so I have something to offer from my life experience, you know, for, for their specific situation. But, um, I think I noticed more people doing it with me than maybe other people. And so I think there's a, maybe just a tendency, there's just a thing I have about that that maybe draws people to me or whatever. So, um, but it's not, yeah, it's not something I like chose, like, I'm going to do this. It's something I discovered that, oh, this is happening. I have people that call me about these things. I really love it. I love to be involved in their lives and offer any help I can. And when I, after I did my life plan, I discovered that's something I have. What I started noticing myself doing is actually being more purposeful about it, like more intentional. Like when somebody would call or ask to meet about something, it would ring in my bell. Oh, wait a minute. This is one of those moments. I should embrace this and really step into it and Mm. maybe even be a little bit more bold than I have been in the past. Yes. You know, and like take owner, like take responsibility and say, this is my role right now. I'm going to, so I'm going to play that role. Right. That's interesting that you say that because for me, we've talked about this. Part of my journey has been I have discovered sort of like post-mortem that I have gifts and God has equipped me, I think, to play a role of like pastor to people. Hmm. And that's something that I never actively sought out. But as I look back at my life, I realize, oh, that's just the position people have placed me in. Yeah. But well, I mean, now, you didn't you even used to push back on I, that? Yeah, I was. Like, not only did you not think of that, but you actually like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I was actively opposed to that idea. And still there are pieces of me that are. Right. But now that I have sort of discovered that, it's, t- it's the exact same thing. When I find myself in situations where the light bulb goes off and I say, oh, this person's looking to me. To play a pa- to be a pastoral presence in their life, I lean into it more. Yeah. I feel like I have more authority in right. it. Right? Yeah, and I think it's a, almost like a confidence thing because, like, you know, mm. if somebody asks you for help or advice or whatever, it's almost like you want to be careful. Or at least this is how I felt. I, I want to be careful. I don't want to offend them. I didn't want to overstep this mm. honor that they gave me to to speak into it. And and I also wasn't sure how much I should say or not say. But when I realized and sort of took responsibility for, wait a minute, this is a thing for me. This is a talent I have, yeah. or this is an uh, opportunity that I've been given mm. by God. Mm-hmm. I should, uh, I should treat it as such and and be bold about it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And what I think is really interesting, specifically about the people, myself and others that I've seen you have that sort of relational mentor relationship with, it was all people that you had relationships with previously, yeah. you know, through whether it was people who you also directed doing theater or people in green room, the improv group, you know, that you run, or whether it's people who have worked with you on shoots or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you had this pre-existing relationship that was about something else. It was about a shared common interest that you already had. Yeah. And from there, the relationship went a little bit deeper. Yeah. You know, in addition to that, um, I did notice like something happens at Judson University. That's where I went to college and they've hired me to do a lot of their marketing videos, you know, cause I, I run a video company, a creative video company. And I did notice, you know, there was a guy there that, um, was majoring in video production. He saw me shooting and was asking me what kind of camera I was using, you know? And I immediately asked for his number and I told him, Hey, I'd love to have you come shadow me on shoots, you know, especially when I'm shooting here at Judson. This was like maybe four years ago now. And now I hire him occasionally to come work with me. He's graduated and everything. And he's learned a ton from doing work with me or whatever. But there was something even back then where I had this um, sort of this feeling like I need to give back, you know, like I graduated from there. I was given opportunities when I was younger from older people. 
I feel I feel a responsibility to give back mm. to younger generations who need chances to learn or chances to work on real shoots yeah. or chances to ask questions that are stupid or what or what first camera should I buy all that kind of thing. Mm. And I think that's something that's naturally part of me too is is the responsibility of having to give back in whatever ways I can, mm. you know. Um, that's great. I like that a lot. And I think to to maybe give anyone who's listening to this something actionable that they can perhaps do of like, cause I get questions like that all the time of like, how do I find a mentor? All of these things I would say, rather than asking some random person, maybe look at what relationships do I already have yeah, pre-existing right. with people who are older than me or with people who are younger than me. And how can I be a little bit more intentional? Like you were saying, discover, oh, that's already how they look at me. Yeah. So maybe I can just be more intentional. Or look at what are my interests, what's my community already surrounding video production or theater or whatever your interest is, and say, who's already in this, you know, circle that I can begin to look to and lean into a little bit more intentionally in their relationship. Yeah. You know? I, I would even add something to that that um, you know, I think sometimes there's a there's a tendency to think of mentorship as I have a mentor and he's my mentor mm. or she's my mentor. And I think it might be a more healthy way to think about it is that who should be on my team of mentors. Mm. Yeah. I have a mentor for this. I have a mentor for that. I have a spiritual mentor. I have a, you know, job mentor, I have a marriage mentor. You have an advisory board. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, because you know, it's hard to find one person that's like, does all these things well, totally. you know, certain, certain people have certain strengths in other areas and, and having a team behind you, it's almost like in, when you're in business, you have to have your attorney, you have to have mm-hmm. your CP, you know, your accountant, you have to have uh, whatever. Who's your board of mentors, you yeah. know, in your life? If you're thinking about your life as a business, who's who's your mentors? Yeah, and they great. might already be in position. You just need to name them. Yeah, and then begin to look to them for those specific things. Like I know for you, I say this to you all the time. Like if I need someone who's gonna not only be give me wise counsel, but also like no BS, <laughs> like even if it's going to hurt a little bit, yeah. I will definitely, I have no problem going to you because I know that's one of your strengths and one thing you're willing to do for me, Yeah, you know, which I love. Um, great. I appreciate that. Uh, the main focus of this conversation though, hard left turn here. We've been talking is about painting is painting. So what, <laughs> what water, what watercolors <laughs> do you use? Look at us doing improv together once again. <laughs> um, anyway, the, I will, I want to talk about marriage. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of backstory. People who are listening. Um, like I said, Dave has been a mentor friend, coworker of mine for many, many years, but I also very close as well with your wife, Martine. Yeah. We've, we have a friendship sort of all of our, all our own, as well as you are very close with my wife, Erin. Right. You guys have a friendship all your, it's, it's this very unique sort of combination, right. you know, um, that's really wonderful. And we love and appreciate it. But also for me. Well, just to, for those who don't know, like John and Aaron were high school sweethearts mm-hmm. and, and Martine and I were there when they started getting together and yes. we were directing theater and stuff. And Martine and I are also high school sweethearts. So there's a definite connection yeah. And we watched your relationship from high school all the way mm-hmm. till now. And there's very few people that have been on that long yeah. of a journey with you. Well, and we're huge advocates of it, even in its very dramatic, difficult yeah. season. Yeah, right. It was not all roses and sunshine no. for you guys. No, not at all. And, and even before that, though, um, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you specifically about marriage is for me, growing up, I, I talk a little bit about my upbringing. You know, I grew up in a in a, what I would call maybe a moral household, not necessarily a tr- 
faith-based household um, and with parents who, as, as, hard, as hard as they tried, parents who poured everything they had into me. And I think because of that, they would both admit that their marriage over the years suffered because of that and, you know, struggled in its own ways. And when then I started hanging out with you and Martine more and more and more, and you were, I think, the first married couple that I ever spent time around that showed me what I imagined a faith-based, loving marriage would look like. Even when I watched, because I watched, I knew you guys when you didn't have kids, and I've watched you now that you have three kids. Yeah. You know, and I have watched you, what was strange to me, but I have watched you be in love when you didn't have kids, and now, 12 years later, I look at you guys and I'm like, they're even more in love and even more committed to one another. And that was foreign to me, because like I said, I had parents who loved us so much that they poured everything into me and my sister. And so that's why I want to talk to you because you and Martine have a marriage that I have always looked up to um, and that I often look to as an example um, in many, many ways. And so with that, you already gave a little bit of backstory of your and Martine's relationship, but give us, you know, a, a short summary sort of of it. We met at youth group, so we didn't actually go to the same high school. We met at a church youth group, and then we I did, we actually didn't. I didn't like her at all, really. I actually thought she was annoying um, <laughs> because she was so bubbly and, like, fun and everything. And uh, I was so serious, you know, and, like, I will have a serious wife, you know. Yeah. And uh, so when I first – and she was also sort of very flirtatious and went kind of from guy to guy. So we, uh, somebody told me that she liked me one time, and I was like, oh, I would I would never date her. <laughs> and she was so offended because every time that she liked a guy, he would like her back, and then they would date for a little bit for a few months, and then she's like, ah, he's boring. Mm. So I was, like, the first guy in her – life that was like, uh, no thanks. Yeah. And then she became like offended and then also, oh, I'm going to get him at some point. Hmm. So, um, anyway, I dated another girl that didn't go so well. And then I, we got, we got together my junior year of high school and then we wound up going to the same college, Judson University in Elgin. And then, um, we graduated from college together, uh, got married that summer. And then, um, that was in 2002, and now we're 2020. So that was eight, 18 years ago. Yeah. And so for you, I mean, I've heard this story several times, but for the, for the people listening, f- how did you go about and how did you guys go about that process of deciding and figuring out, A, this is the person I'm going to marry, hmm. and B, what's the right timing for us? Well, yeah, that's interesting because we dated for six years, and that's a pretty long time, and... Um, she was ready to get married like sophomore year of college. She was like, let's do it, you know. <laughs> and other people were getting engaged around us, and she would, like, break down in tears because we'd been dating for, I guess, maybe three or four years at that point. And she's like, when are we going to get engaged? But I was I was just not ready at all So because I, I was doing my, my college thing. Green Room was just starting. We started Green Room in college. And I was living in the dorm and having fun with my guy friends. And I wasn't really, like... Let, let's get married. You know, to me, I just wasn't ready. I also came from a divorced household. So mm. I had the feeling of, I want to make sure that they're right. Like I don't ever want that my family my to be, you know, I don't ever want to be in a divorce situation because of growing up with that. Mm-hmm. And so I was very gun shy about that as well. Yeah. And one of the things, I got some really good advice from somebody because I was feeling some pr- the pressure about proposing and all that kind of thing, you know? And one of the one of my professors when we were on a trip one time told me, "Hey, just so you know, there's you don't need to rush into getting married." Uh, he goes, um, "Life is best lived out in seasons, and it's really better 
not to go into the next season uh, until you're ready to go into that season. It's better to just stay in the season you're in and let that complete itself. And then when you feel ready to go to the next season, then go into it. Yeah. And that that's the same from like getting married to having a child to, you know, whatever. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to rush into the next season if you're not ready. It's okay yeah. to wait. You know, one year in the grand scheme of your life is not going to be make a difference. You yeah. know, that's good. And I remember implementing that advice into my own relationship with Aaron years later. Cause I don't, I'm not sure if that's ever advice that you gave me explicitly, but I knew through hearing your story and through watching your example, that that's what you had sort of decided to do. I want to complete this season. And for me in college as well, Aaron and I got married shortly after college. But for me, it was like when I was in school, that was my number one priority. And I knew that. And I somehow knew or realized that in order to have a truly healthy marriage, that other person should probably be my number one priority instead of school. Yeah, that happened to me. I had my friends make fun of me because they said after my wedding day, they go, something changed in you completely. Like you're like a different person because I was ready to like embrace I'm a husband Yeah, and I'm going to do this marriage thing. This is what I'm all in Yeah, because I was ready. I was like fully ready. And they're like, what happened to you? Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, I don't know, maybe. I'm just ready for next season. Well, exactly. And it doesn't mean that you let go of the other things that you enjoy or care about. It's, no. For me, it was just a priority shift of like Aaron Correct. has moved to the top of the list yeah. now. Yeah, right. You know, and everything else is subordinate to that. And because when when that happens, I find that I actually have more time for the other things that I really care about. Right. You know, because I'm filling that bucket first that really matters. Um, that's great. That's That's helpful. Then I'm interested to hear, so you guys got married, and then you... Waited how long until you had kids? Five years, about five years. Five years. And I think we waited three or four until we started trying. Okay. Because we, it was the same thing. We weren't really ready for kids yet. So we, yeah. we did a bunch of theater in our early 20s and mm-hmm. having fun performing together, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so then we started trying for kids, um, four, maybe four years in. And how, what was, what were those, what was that conversation like? Was it when you guys got married, you had a conversation and said, here's how long we want to wait? And we'll no. revisit the conversation then, or how did that go? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think we just, I think we just knew when we first got married we're not ready to have kids yet, so let's not worry about that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so then we just waited for a while, and then basically we're like, hey, what do you think about starting to try in a few months or next year or whatever? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, I think that, that makes sense. I think we might have done a little math too, like, okay, if we get because once you get pregnant, you still have nine months to go before the kids here. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a, it's all, it's almost a year. You know, you almost have a year to get ready once you start trying. Mm -hmm. I mean, if all if all things go well, you know. But um, that's I think it was kind of natural. We just like I think we're maybe we're ready now. Maybe let's start trying. Yeah. When when you think about the first couple years of your marriage, what were some things that were maybe easier than you thought they'd be? Like what made what was easier than you thought with marriage, and that or maybe some things that you guys really struggled with it at first. Hmm. Um. Well. One thing that I know was easier was that, you know, we used to get more fights about, am I coming to your place or you coming over to my place? Because we didn't live together before we got married, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was like, who's coming to whose place and are you going to pick me up? And I just forget it. It's not worth it, you know? Right. Um, so that was a thing. So when you live together, it's like you're just together a lot more. So like a lot of that, a lot of those fights just completely disappeared. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, things that were harder, um, you know, that's a hard one. I can't remember 
that, that, that early 20s when we were first married with no kids, I, I, there's nothing about that time that I remember being difficult, mm-hmm. honestly. It, it just feels like such a carefree, easy time. Maybe that's because I've got three kids now and it's very different <laughs> than back then. So maybe if you had asked me before I had kids, I'd be like, oh, I hate that she does this and this is a problem. But I think back to that time now and I'm like, man, that was great. Mm-hmm. That was easy. We could just decide to leave the house we don't have to find a babysitter. Right. You know, we don't have to get anybody to a rehearsal or to a school function, you know. Right. Was there, so when when you think about the big transitions from season to season with marriage, whether it's first getting married, whether it's starting to have kids, and now I think you guys are actually in one as well because your youngest daughter started school. Yeah. And so now it's like. Now, you know, Martine's at home. Uh, she doesn't work, so she's just at home with no kids in the house. So she's right. starting to do some part-time work as well. Yeah. So my question with that is, which of those transitions was perhaps the most difficult for you? I feel for you guys to navigate together. Well, let me just return to the question right before that, and then if that's okay, yeah. I, I do think the money thing was maybe a thing when we got married. Oh yeah. You know, figuring out how we're going to do the money because we we decided to go all in on one checking account. We have the same. We both have a car for that checking account. It's not two separate accounts, you know. We're both working at the same time, so figuring out how to do money together was a thing because I'm much more sort of strict about it than she is. Mm-hmm. She's more carefree with money, yeah. Not in a detrimental like I'm buying thousands of dollars of things, but just like she'll just go out to eat whenever she wants, and and, and when you are used to being separate and you're heavy on money, you can do whatever you want with it. it doesn't matter. Totally. When you bring it together ideally you're becoming one. And so you don't just go spend money, you know, whenever you want to, we kind of got to be on the same page about this. Right. So that was a transition, I think. And we're big Dave Ramsey people. So that was all, that was a big help. You know, when we were in twenties, it's just to kind of get on his system and try to get on the same page about that. But on the talking about seasons, which was the hardest season to transition to. Yeah. It was actually probably when we had our second child, because when we had the first child, we just brought the kid everywhere with us. We were still doing theater. We were doing rehearsals. She just come to rehearsals with us. When we had the second child, the second child was much more difficult than the first child was. And not only was the second child more difficult, but the first child started acting up because they wanted more <laughs> attention. And so going from one to two kids was like, whoa, you know. Right. Big, so that first year, like our second child didn't sleep through the night until she was a year old, like maybe mm-hmm. a 12, 13 months old. And our, our first kid would sleep like two months in. She was like sleeping six hours, seven hours a night. So we're like, this is easy. We're great parents, <laughs> you know. And then we had a, our second kid. We're like, oh, boy, what happened? Oh, yeah. How do we come through an exchange policy, you know? Uh, so that was the hardest was when the second kid came. And how do we now deal with not getting great sleep for about a year? And she only wanted mommy. And I, but I still got to work and I work from home and I, I can't help that much. And having boundaries with working at home versus helping out with a kid. And uh, that was a very challenging season for sure. Yeah. And part of, part of it, I imagine, is when you lose a lot of sleep, you know, your, your high functioning skills deteriorate just a bit. Just a bit. How did, are there any, when you look back at that season or just seasons where you guys are having to make transition, can you pinpoint any, um, maybe like, practices or sort of ways that you all went about discussing things or anything, any sort of themes that you were like, we found that this really worked for us in terms of making decisions or. Yeah. Well, we asked for help a lot. Mm. I mean, we really leaned on our community and our family quite a bit and we're very blessed with a lot of friends and, you know, and her family lives nearby. Mine does. So, you know, we'd have grandma come over and help. We'd have friends come over and babysit. You know, we, we really tried to get, breaks when we could so we didn't completely lose our sanity 
um, because it just gets very difficult, you know. And one of the things that Martina have always had as a saying that we learned before we had kids is that the the greatest gift we can ever give our kids is a good marriage. And we really took that to heart. And that means continually doing date nights, yeah. continually getting time for ourselves. Uh, it's, it's not like I have work and she has the kids and then occasionally we'll see each other. It's like, no, we have a marriage. And so if we got to get rid of the kids for an evening, that's what we're going to do mm. so we can have our marriage, you know, and make yeah. sure that's intact and make sure we're having fun together and we're on the same page about money. We're on the same page about plans coming up this weekend and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I would say that's probably what we did is we tried to, even in the very difficult time, we still tried to make sure we got away to just be her and me so we could just breathe a bit. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's, um, that's one of the things that I definitely noticed about not just your guys's marriage, but also you guys individually. I was having a conversation with Jimmy about this, about how you are the type of person where everyone everyone always tells you, and I don't know because I don't have kids, but they tell you, oh, when you have kids, your whole life just turns completely upside down and you're not going to be able to do anything that you love anymore and all these things. And I'm like, I feel like Dave still does all the things he really loves doing. Yeah. And and it's not because he's a neglectful father and husband. <laughs> he's actually one of the most present husbands and fathers I've ever been around. Oh, thanks. But it's just, I don't know, It's it's you've... You have sort of, I guess, found a way to, within all of that, still be able to do the other things that are important while keeping the main thing the main thing. My intuition tells me that that is just something that comes naturally to you, but I'm interested if you can kind of share a little bit of that. Because I think what can happen for a lot of people, men and women, is they can lose themselves in their marriage or in being a parent or a mom or whatever. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned about, you know, giving them a, the gift of a good marriage. You know, I, I come from a divorced household. And so, you know, I didn't really see a good marriage modeled out for me. So that, that was a priority for me, I think, maybe just for my upbringing, you mm-hmm. know. And I think we have a just a fundamental philosophy that mine and Martine's lives don't revolve around our kids. Mm-hmm. And that our kids need to learn that our marriage is actually more important than they are like what my wife and I have and it's be, it's modeled out for them like we leave them with a sitter and we go on date night they have sitters so much that now they ask us who's sitting tonight you know like it's like normal and they go to the sitters very easily and sometimes it costs a decent amount of money to pay a sitter and to go out to eat or to mm-hmm. go to a movie you know yeah. we're getting into the you know 60 70 dollars 80 dollars for a date night but then we cut in other ways things that aren't as important. Like we don't have an expensive TV, you know, like we don't spend $300 a month on TV experiences or whatever. Uh, it's just we care about it. And we also care about Martine and I having outlets, creative outlets for ourselves. So I yeah. still perform improv shows. Martine still will direct or vocal direct musicals or shows because it gives her life. It, it gives her uh, purpose. It gives her something to enjoy. And we're lucky that, you know, some of our kids are able to be involved in some of the extracurricular things that we do. Mm. And sometimes they're not able to be involved in it, but I don't have resentment for Martine when I've got the kids because she's rehearsing and she doesn't have resent me, resentment towards me when I'm out doing green room because we have date nights and we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. And so I get to have a creative outlet. Martine gets to have a creative outlet. We have date nights and the kids also, we get time for the kids as well. Uh, we, that's just a philosophy we have is that our marriage and, 
is important. It's, it's actually more important. Mm-hmm. And our, our prayer is that that's the right direction, that the kids grow up realizing they're not the most important thing in the world. We, the world doesn't revolve around them. And if you have a marriage, it, you know, it, you should really take time to invest in it. Yeah. And I'll do date nights with the kids too. So, you know, I'll bring them out because I have three daughters, so we'll do a date night. So they understand what a date night is too. So when I say Martin, mommy and I are going on date night, they, they know what that means because they've experienced it. Me and mommy are going to Panda Express. Yeah, we are going (laughs) to Panda Express. (laughs) Whatever it is. That's so great. I remember um, one thing for Aaron and I when we first got married, um, we had... We had actually a very good, I think, first like couple years of marriage. It wasn't nearly as hard as I think I'd heard for us specifically. But one thing that was difficult, speaking to what you're talking about, was Aaron went through a season within the first year of our marriage where she very much transitioned her career aspirations, where she went from this is what I thought I was going to do to I to a good like six to eight months where she really had no idea what she wanted to do as a career moving forward or what she was even really passionate about. And I remember that being a really difficult time in our marriage as well, in our relationship between us. Yeah. And I think it's specifically that she didn't have that creative outlet. She didn't, that was was giving her life. Yeah. She didn't have something else outside of us that was really giving her life and purpose. She was in search of that and that had an effect on us, you know? And the same has been true for me, you know, when I haven't, perhaps been clear on what those outlets are for me or just haven't made time for them. It Hmm. definitely affected and does affect our relationship. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Give me, um, I don't know. You've been married how long now? Um, 2002. So 18 years, 18 years coming up on 18. Yeah. Give me, which is precisely how long we've known each other, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, the, we got married and then, Audition for Robin Hood, which you were in, which I was first in. show. Yeah, you guys literally, got back from your honeymoon. Yeah, it yeah. was literally two weeks after our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. We auditioned for that. So, do you? Th- what has given you more life, your marriage or our friendship? Oh, our friendship. Thank you very much. That's yeah. all I needed to hear. All right, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, last, last little thing. Um, you, you've shared a lot of a lot of wisdom, a lot of things you've picked up over the years. Um, in regards to forming and having a healthy marriage, if you could narrow it down to one to three things that you feel has contributed to your and Martine's, well, I'm going to call it a successful marriage thus far, what what would you say? Um, one would be probably um, the date night thing, like, and it, it, the but the point is not necessarily date nights, but the point is our marriage is important. So even if that's a date night at home mm-hmm. or, or a special, you know, or like going downstairs to watch a movie together or doing things together where we are just her and I, and we can talk about stuff, laugh about stuff, have fun, whatever that often includes. And this would be number two, um, community. Uh, I think having a community around us of friends that we hang out with and that we purposefully go out with, I'll, you know, and that's sometimes part our date night is like, we'll go out with another couple mm-hmm. or two other couples and that, that we consider that our date night as well, even though it's not just her and I, we're with other people, but then we are with other people more sharing things we're going through and whatever. And then when the hard times come, those people are there for you. Yeah. And we've got decades of investment into friendships and relationships that we very much care about. And I know people who very recently have had very hard times and come across very hard times in their lives 
and they don't have a lot of friends in their life, and it's very, very hard for them to get through it because they've got one or two people they can call, Mm -hmm. and that's it. And if they're not available, like, it's tough. We have the situation where if something happens to us, we've got, like, an army of people that would come help, yeah, you know, absolutely. and that's been purposeful. Now we're lucky and blessed because we've lived in the same place for a long time. So it's p- perhaps easier for us than people who have moved around or yeah. have started yeah. it over in a different state, you know? Um, but that's number two, probably is our community and investing in our community of friends. And that could be church people. That could be old theater friends. It could be, we've even got people that we're very close to. We've only known for like three years because we, we clicked with them and then we just like, you know what? We want to go out with them more, get to know them more. And, yeah. You know, it's not like you only have to have people you've known for 20 years. You can mm-hmm. start whenever you want. You can start that, you know. But you got to do it on purpose. Um, and then for number three, um, I, I mean, I'm going to be real here. We, we talk about sex and we try to have sex, you know, as, when we can. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. I'm just being real. So we, it's not a taboo topic for us. It's yeah. not a... Sometimes we fight about it. Sometimes we don't fight about it. But we like try to stay on the same page about mm-hmm. how often we have sex, when we have sex. You know whether we schedule it or whether it happens, whatever. Yeah. Like that's like a thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? It's a thing. And it's so you're right. It it needs to become not a taboo topic because I think for Aaron and I, for the first couple years of our marriage, I think it was. Hmm. I feel like we were just tiptoeing around this thing because we had all these false narratives surrounding what it's going to be, even within like a Christian marriage. Yeah. You know, the narrative you right. hear is like, you're married, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> you're just doing it every day, you yeah. know? Yeah. But it's just like, wait a second, that's not necessarily true, you know, for everybody. Yeah. And you have to like learn how to do it well, yeah, you know? You, it's like, if you haven't had sex for marriage, you don't suddenly become an expert right. because you can do it. No, you know, not at all. Or if and you've had a few ta- few partners, it's not, you're not an expert, you know? No, and you don't know necessarily this other person, not just specifically within the act of sex itself, but like what they need in order to just even get to that place where yeah. they're emotionally available for yep, that. You right, know what I mean? Right. And I think, yeah, I think for us learning to remove that sort of like weirdness around it and being something we can just talk soberly about. Yeah. Cause the truth helpful. is it's like real important. Yeah. Like, especially for the guy, not to be sexist at all, but like for the guys, I mean, I tend to obviously want it more than she does. But it's like a biological thing. Like I just biologically have to have it or or something, you know. It doesn't have to be sex. But that's I would put that as number three because I feel like we have a pretty healthy sex life. And we talk about it and we have tried things, you know, and uh, whatever. So, And I think think even outside of specifically the area of sex, I think learning to communicate surrounding the big areas and specifically the areas that are sometimes taboo to talk about. You talked earlier about money. Mm-hmm. You know, really learning to soberly communicate with your spouse about those things, yeah, I think is such a such a process, but such an important process because why why do marriages end? Yeah, know? yeah, a lot of times money fights money, money problems, or because a lot of times you know because the Bible, yeah, or sex, because right? Because it's an affair or whatever it might be. Totally, and and with the, back to the money thing, you know, the Bible says your treasure is where your heart is, mm-hmm. you know? So whatever you spend your money on is a lot of t- a lot of times what you're passionate about or what you desire, or what you pursue. If you guys are not on the same page about desiring the same things or wanting to do the same things and she wants to go spend money on this thing and I'm like, no, that's not important to me at all. And she's like, well, I don't care. I'm going to do it. That's a problem. Yeah. So if we can figure out how to bridge that and make some allowances for each other, you know, 
it's it's a tricky thing. And, you know, it's not like we don't ever fight about that. Sometimes we still have issues about that. But it's an ongoing thing we're working at is yeah. staying on the same page about money, staying on the same page about sex, and then date nights, community. Like, that's kind of a... That's great. Those are the big ones for us, I guess. David Hunter, I could talk to you all day. All I wanted to do was make sure we talk about sex. Yeah, you're welcome. I squeezed that in. Thank you for doing that. I didn't, but so to speak. Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I can't take you anywhere. And we were right at the end too. This I was my, doing. This is my relational mentor, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. You got I love it. You. We nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>